Hi there, I'm Anna. And I'm Anton. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Scalpel. In this episode, we will be interviewing Dr. Karina Chow, a colorectal surgeon who specializes in laparoscopic and robotic surgery. Thanks for coming, Dr. Chow. Maybe we could start by asking a little bit about yourself, your background, medical training. Thank you for inviting me to uh, be part of this. Um, I guess for me, uh, I'm Sydney born and bred. So I went to uh, medical school at the University of Sydney. I'm showing my age because I went to the undergrad program in Sydney Uni at that time, which did exist. Uh, So I did six years of medical school at that time, and I did um, my training in and around Sydney, around Western Area Health, so mostly at Westmead Hospital. Um, As a surgical registrar, staying in a similar area, but Westmead also rotated to rural New South Wales and down to Canberra. So I did a lot of my surgical training, my general surgical training there. Uh, after that, I did colorectal training. Mainly, I got to the end of my general training and I wanted to do a bit more. I wanted to uh, have, I had a bit more interest elsewhere, so I wanted to uh, do hone my skills. And so I applied to the colorectal training program. Okay. Okay. And um, uh, so I did my first year of colorectal training in Sydney as well at the Prince of Wales Hospital. And uh, my second year was up here in Brisbane. And I was only supposed to be here for a year, but many years later, I'm still here. <laughs> was there any reason that you stayed in Brisbane? Oh, it's got a good lifestyle. It's, <laughs> I had a good group of surgeons to work with. I had a really nice unit who was very supportive. Um, oh, yeah, it's kind of nice. <laughs> no, I really like Brisbane. And I think it was much more conducive to having a life as well as being a busy surgeon. I think no matter what, any surgeon is busy. But in Sydney, it's pretty prohibitive because there's so much traffic and it takes you so long to get between all the hospitals. Of course. And, you know, you end up leaving before the crack of dawn, you never see your children, you get home late at night, you never see your children. Um, And I wasn't up for that. Uh, Whereas I think here I have a simpler life. I work in two hospitals. It takes me 10 minutes to get home. Um, You know, I've certainly been at Royal and my child was receiving an award on assembly. So I've ducked out and gone seen that at school because it's only two minutes down the road and come back to clinic and done that sort of stuff as well. So it's great. It's very lifestyle orientated and I can still be a busy surgeon. And what kind of hobbies do you like to get up to in your spare time? I do have spare time sometimes. Uh, I do karate, actually. So oh, I've wow. trained karate for a long time. And um, nice now, actually, uh, my daughter trains with me. So that's renewed my interest in uh, in karate again. So that's probably the one thing that I do. And the rest of the time I spend chasing after my children. <laughs> Bit of a task there. Juggle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, we read a little bit that you did some robotics training in Korea as well. Is that, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so basically I got to the end of my colorectal training and really at that time robotics was was brand new. Um, Urology was doing it a bit, colorectal, there was no one doing it. Hmm. Um, And so, but the one thing I did notice about being in Brisbane or in Queensland generally is that our patients were quite obese. Uh, 
and that the the one operation that we just still didn't do well laparoscopically was rectal cancers because right. the patients were just too big so honestly it all started from me trying to find a way to make it easier Okay. Um, and then, you know, I, I started looking into robotics. Uh, one of my colleagues had brought out um, uh, Professor Kim from Korea because he was, a, at the time, a world-leading colorectal robotic expert. And so he actually came out to Royal Brisbane at that time. And um, I, if you're going to learn something, you want to learn it from the best. And so, you know, I had the opportunity. I met up with uh, Prof Kim at that time and I spoke to him about it and asked if I could come out. Conveniently, and probably not the most normal way to take a sabbatical, is that uh, I was about to take maternity leave. And again, quite conveniently in Queensland is that you can take uh, a year off maternity leave and that uh, Royal would hire a locum to cover me so I don't feel bad about taking the year off and you know, having my colleagues fill my, my uh, position for that long. Yeah. And so, and that's what I did. So I took half of my maternity leave as maternity leave, but the other half I, I actually went over to Korea with the new baby and my other daughter. Oh, wow. it all over. <laughs> But it, it was a it was a nice well it was it was a, a nice way to um, you know further my training while and having the time to do it. Mm. And what did you learn when you were over there? So, I mean, one it, it was mainly it was it was solid exposure to the robot. So, but I mean, life uh, training in Asia is very different to what we do in Australia, and I think that's mm. the other thing that you learn. And I would very much recommend overseas uh, training for anyone because no matter how much we think it's the same as what we do, it's completely different. And people will ask you questions that you never even thought of before, things that, that you do that is just, you know, that's what I do. No one has ever asked me why I make a statement the way I make it. It's just what I do. But all of a sudden they said, oh, why do you do that? We do this. It's like, oh, wow, that's completely different um, and things like that. So just even that exposure is fantastic. But, yes, I mean, I learned, I, I did all my sim time on the on the robot. I did my console surgeon course, which is what you need to do before you can get onto a robot. I observed many cases. I did uh, a, a lot of cases. I um, assisted in a lot of cases. So I had a lot of uh, exposure to the robot. So hopefully to come back to Australia um, with the skills to be able to start robotics. Because I said there was no one here who could teach me. So skills, I was always yeah. going to be starting on my own. Mm. And so how does all the all the training you did in Korea and everything, how does that compare to what you do on a day-to-day basis now? Uh, it's it's actually completely different still. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Korean health system is very different to what we have here. Yeah. So I guess what I learned, uh, what I learned in terms of the robotics that I do over there uh, is very different to what I do now, mainly because the machines and technologies come on a lot. Um, and but what Prof Kim taught me, and this is what I really appreciate, was he wasn't teaching me just how to do one operation or just how to use one robot. He taught me the principles of how he started robotics and why he adopted systems for him, and which also indicated to me that when the next generation of robots came along or when I was going to adopt my robots, it wasn't that I had to do what he does. I had to do what suited me. And it was a really smart way to learn. Mm. And it meant that it's a really flexible way. So I can learn on one robot and I can learn on the next robot and on the next robot because he taught me the fundamental principles of 
how I should set up my myself to do what I need to do. Okay, because I imagine there'd be great variability in all the different robotics technologies out there. You mentioned the robot when you were over in Korea. Could you tell us a little bit more about the technology that you were using? So predominantly still in uh, surgery, the Da Vinci robot is still the main robot on right. the market. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Da Vinci robot you know, is the one that, that all the urologists use and so forth. Um, and it has it itself has gone through many generations, which is which is where we are now. So I learned on one robot in Korea. When I came back here to Australia, um, we had that robot in, at the Royal Brisbane, but we had a different. The next generation already was at the Wesley, and so actually I started my robotics in Australia on the next generation of robot. They caught up. Okay. It caught up, and then um, actually the next generation was smart of da vinci in that it was addressing the issues that everyone else was having because the the first generation of da vinci was very good for the urologists who operate on a single quadrant they don't have to move around the abdomen right whereas bowel surgery general surgery all the other ones like that we need to move around the abdomen so and that was really difficult on the um original robot so the next generation was completely redesigned to um to accommodate for that and so, and that's the one that I'm using now. So it's called the XI, um, but it's much more suitable for multi-quadrant surgery. So it made life a lot easier for us, actually. Mm. And so are they vastly different or is it much the same principles? It's just a slightly different approach. Uh, between the SI and the XI, there was a real big difference from the, uh, from the way that the robot works. Mm-hmm. Um, the console itself, so, so the thing that I use is, pretty much exactly the same uh, but the the cart that goes over the patient it was actually a fundamental shift so original the original cart was a single column in the middle and the arms came around on the outside but the new robot the platform comes in over the top of the bed and the arms drop down oh, I see. so it's a real big difference in the way the arms move and the way the arms sort of hit each other and things like that so so there was a big difference but it was a big difference for the better but mainly what you're doing when you're over in, in the box manipulating the instruments, that stayed relatively similar. Yeah, so the actual what I do and how I, I use my buttons and how I use my hands and feet, that stayed the same. Okay, so it's transferable like that. And what mm. benefit does this kind of surgery have? What kind of operations are you using this for? So now we're doing it for virtually everything, so all bowel resections. Um, oh, so. Wow. Okay. Predominantly, all my bowel resections are becoming um, robotic in two ways. Uh, so for colon surgery or higher up in the belly, it probably is less of a big advantage forward than it is in the pelvis. In the pelvis, it's a huge advantage in that we can do much bigger patients still minimally invasive. So the ones that I used to have to convert because my instruments just wouldn't reach or wouldn't be strong enough or wouldn't get around the corner. Right. Now the instruments are a lot stronger. The instruments actually turn corners so that you can actually you know get in and around. You can put your camera right low down so you can be right in the action. So, so definitely we can do all of those much easier and I think we do more of the minimally invasive. Um, but even in colon work, I think, you know, I think we're starting to see the benefits. We are currently in the middle of doing a trial actually at the moment for a lap versus robotic right hemicolectomy trial to okay. see whether there is true benefit or not. Um, because we've also got to remember when we're moving on with technology, we can't just move on just because it's a cool toy and that we want to 
want to play with it. These things are more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to be cognizant of that too. So we've got to know that it actually is better. Certainly in the pelvis, I think we've got some, you know, we're getting increasing evidence, but I think in the, for the rest of the colon yet, we don't. And so that's something that needs to happen. And that, that's what we're doing. Mm. So primarily driven by, I guess, the space that you're trying to reach in the pelvis, especially in um, obese patients, it's just difficult with using lap instruments and that provides extra maneuverability. And then this trial yeah. obviously is, is looking at expanding it to using uh, in the abdomen or at least comparing it to current methods. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, where do you see the technology going or new advancements that may potentially arise? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a number of mar- uh, robots on the market now, so it'll be interesting to see where the robot goes. I think the biggest disadvantage, I actually think the robot actually works very well now, and certainly for what I need to do, I have far less limitation than what I used to just with standard sort of laparoscopy. Uh, but the biggest problem is it's expensive. And so that's where a lot of the other companies are are driving is to try and work out how to reduce the costs. One thing that Da Vinci still is stuck with, and this will be interesting to see where it goes, is um, the one problem people still have with the robot is that the arms hit each other um, and it's that lack of space. So end of the day, your your belly's only so big. And so your arms, however much they're moving around it, can only move so far. So certainly some of the other companies that I've seen at the moment are trying to separate out the arms so it's not all coming off one boom Mm. as a way to, you know, to try and combat how the arms are hitting each other. So that's something that's going on at the moment. Um, There's a lot of virtual technologies that are coming on as well with the robot as in what can we do? Can we overlay imaging uh, for us? Can we use dyes to help us see things a little bit easier and so forth? So that's another place where technology is coming a lot. And say, for example, like one thing that's always difficult in bowel surgery is to find the ureter. Uh, But if you can inject something in and you can change the light on your robot and all of a sudden the ureter glows, it's actually a lot easier to do. Okay. And so that's actually, we can actually do that with current technologies. Um, but what else can we do that way? You know, can we make blood vessels easier to see? You know, thing, things that, that we need to identify. Can we make nodes easier to see? So maybe that we only see the nodes. We don't have to take everything that we do at the moment. So that's certainly a, a space where, where technology is moving on. And, um, I mean, the AI side of things is not really developing from bowel surgery yet, but certainly in some of the other fields it is. Um, You know, being able to uh, put in the imaging and get the robot to actually design the shape of a joint Mm -hmm. so that it fits perfectly into into its replacement. 3D printing of joints is already happening as well. So there's plenty of technologies happening elsewhere. I would just say for colorectal, we're not in that space quite yet because the bowel still moves, which is be, is the is the hindrance because your imaging is not static. And right. so the bowel still moving at the moment. So I've got to think about what to do with that. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, on that note of, um, I guess, other technologies and other specialties that are using robotics in surgery, you mentioned joint replacement and orthopedics. Are there any other specialties that you're aware of that have that use the robot or any other kind of robots? Robots, yeah. So, um, I mean, using the Da Vinci, a lot of specialties, a lot of specialties that do laparoscopic surgery have have moved towards the robot. Mm-hmm. So, pretty much, you know, all aspects of 
um, general surgery, so colorectal, upper GI, hepatobiliary have all um, done robotics. Certainly there's ro robotic whipples procedures happening and you know, esophagectomies. Gynae has started to move a lot towards robotics as well. And cardiac's probably the other one that's doing sort of big moves towards uh, robotics. Oh, wow. Okay. Urology was always the first one that used out the, the robot that I use. Um, so a number of specialties are doing that. Um, there's ENT, sun tube, thyroids, transorally. Um, uh, gosh, what else is there? <laughs> As if, uh, from a da Vinci perspective, um, that's what I think off the top of my head. I, I know a little bit about the orthopedic robots because uh, Royal also has an orthopedic robot. The rest of the robots, I have to admit, I don't know. I'm sure there's <laughs> technology out there. I just am not exposed to that, so I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. I suppose, like you said, with the... Uh imaging that you can pop up over the display and you can identify certain anatomical features like the ureter would be tailored towards what you're doing or in gynae surgery or something like that and i'm sure they'd be able to tailor it for other specialties now you also mentioned how um, prof kim taught you a flexible way of approaching mm. learning how to use these different technologies and i suppose that is an issue just from talking to people that students and trainees have a like is how do we actually prepare ourselves to know what we're doing when it comes to robotics? How do we learn about this stuff? How do we get those hands-on skills when training is very much hands-off for the most part? Yeah, look, it's a very good, uh, good question. Uh, certainly, I guess that's the phase we've moved into now. Like, you know, the last 10 years has been learning how to use a robot, how to make it more effective, how to work out what operations we should and we shouldn't be doing. The next phase is really about teaching the next generation uh, of surgeons of how to use it. Uh, at Royal, we're fortunate. We've got what's termed a dual console robot. So I've got, it's kind of like, you know, the learning cars where you can, the person next to you has pedals as well. Right, yeah. We've essentially got that at, um, at Royal for the robot. Wow. So now I've got my fellow, she's uh, doing all the operating at the moment, but I have a beautiful button called take all if I'm worried about her because I've got my own console okay. that I can I can work with. And the, the Da Vinci actually is beautifully set up for, um, for teaching in the way that, you know, we've got pointers on it. Uh, there's a touch screen that I, I, if I need to show something on a diagram, it, it automatically comes into her, her vision so that you can see it. I can write hello on it if I want to, <laughs> if you're paying attention to me. Um, so the, the, the next phase is to make a structured teaching program, which is where we're at at the moment. We're developing it. Like we, you know, as said, we have requirements for simulation time, requirements for bedside assist time, uh, requirements for various courses that have to be done. But at the moment for robots, very much it's in the realm of the fellows at the moment who get to learn uh, how to use the, the robots. And once the fellows become more comfortable, we have more people coming through who've, who've got proficiency on the robot, then our registrars will get a chance to do it. But it is a, a little bit of a, we're still in early phase of learning. Yeah, so now. take a bit of time for it to sort of reach back down, down the yeah. stream. Yeah, we're going to need more availability before we can, you know, we can have everyone know how to use robots. It's coming and it's coming very quickly. But, you know, this whole robotic journey for me has only been over the last 10 years. So it's just, it's too early, I think. Of course, yeah. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Scalpel. See you next time, either on our next episode or at one of Sergio's upcoming events. Thank you.